In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I have to start by saying Happy Father's Day to all of you fathers out there. Ashley blessed me yesterday as I thought today of all days on Father's Day that I would have church in the morning and I would go home to mow the grass in the afternoon and return for church at night, hence celebrating Father's Day. But she said yesterday, I have a lawn guy coming Monday morning because our lawn is going out of control with all of this rain and allowing me to have some time with the boys this afternoon and especially to sit down and relax and watch Texas Tech battle Florida tonight in baseball. This being my Father's Day present, looking forward to that. But going back to that grass that I thought I would be cutting today, I have a love continue, my love-hate relationship with St. Augustine grass. When I lived in Wyoming, up in the mountains, there was snow on the ground six to seven months of the year, so the grass hid under snowpack for that long, and then you had a brief season to cut it maybe three or four times a year, and you were done. St. Augustine grass is a very different animal, as I'm still trying to figure out the seasons of St. Augustine seeing grass, how to feed it, how to care for it, all of those things, not to cut it too short. I've had to learn some of this the hard way. But it's a question that comes out of that for myself and for those of you that already know, if you have the green thumb, especially with that grass, what are you doing to make that St. Augustine grass grow? I mean, I've gone through the lessons how to fertilize, how to aerate, when to water, how much to water, but I can quickly conclude that through all the efforts I make, and though right now it seems like I fail a lot, uh, the grass grows on its own. I know there's, there was times after the hurricane in September into October last year, after we all came through that, and we all had to have, a lot of us anyways, trees cut down, and we thought our tree company was going to haul that big one that fell in our backyard off, and they just piled it in the front yard over the entirety of my small front yard on the curb, and that shrubbery and the leftovers of that big tree that fell from the hurricane just sat on the front four feet of my lawn. And you, you all have probably or are still experienced this same thing. The grass underneath that tree, it, it took them months to come get that tree. And through that, the grass underneath not getting its proper feeding and sunlight and water and all of that stuff, it just died. So for the longest time, and still, I look at those bare patches in the front of the grass. And so when the growing season, when the dormant time of the grass coming back to life and getting ready to grow came this spring, I thought, well, what do I need to do about that? So watching my neighbors, asking them questions, I would go and get the weed and feed and even some ant killer and uh, hope that that grass would just come back. And in store, apparently we did that a little too late. 
And instead of the grass growing back in the part that had died, we killed other areas of the grass. Hence my love-hate relationship with St. Augustine grass. And then I thought, well, maybe we just resawed or we just waited out until uh, and see what happens because I know some rain will come. And as we know, we, now we are in rainy season. And once that rain came, I was thankful that the grass responded. I didn't really do anything, and it grew. And most of those patches have filled themselves in. And right now, those dead patches are green, but it's not grass that has grown there. And we will continue to work on that. But the point... The point is the grass grew on its own. I did a few things to help it out and even tried to kill it, not on purpose, but the grass still grows on my own or on its own. And then there's, there's times with this grass growing on its own, especially St. Augustine, if you go out of town for summer vacation and you've got the week or two away and you come back and you're like, oh my goodness. I should have asked my neighbor to mow for me because I now have a jungle instead of a well-manicured lawn. While we sleep, the grass continues to grow. And this is the point Jesus is making in our parable this morning, the one of the growing seed. Whether the farmer is asleep or awake, the crop grows, and it's not the farmer's doing. It said this in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day. And the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself, first the stalk and then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, At once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. So the farmer works the ground, plants the seed, and cultivates it, both the growth, uh, but the growth, a.k.a. the harvest is going to come from God. That farmer does the work to tend a little bit of it, but the growth that happens naturally is going to come from God. Within God's kingdom, we will engage in conversations with people. And perhaps a seed will be planted from those conversations if we have the opportunity to explain God's love for them. And then it is up to God to produce the harvest once that seed has been planted within people. Yes, if given the opportunity, we will continue to engage with these people. We'll talk with them. We will remain in relationship with them. But it is God, through the person and work of the cross of Jesus Christ and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, that brings salvation. Yes, you see, Jesus is on a mission. To redeem and to restore all of his people. That's why he came into the world, as we heard weeks ago in John 3.16. And God continues to be at work in all of our neighborhoods. 
And whether you know it or not, neighborhood is actually about relationships. And neighborhood is about community. Neighborhood is actually a network of people to which we regularly have access. We usually think it's the people living in close proximity to us and not, not just where we live or work. Anyone we come, to, come into contact with on a regular basis is neighborhood. A lot of us have been taught it's those neighbor, neighborhoods that we live in and the houses around us, but it's where we live, it's where we work, it's where we go to school. Any group of people that we naturally have access to. And some of these folks we might know pretty well. Some not, and some might just be passers-by. And for a variety of reasons, we are in relationships with one another in those neighborhoods, where we live, where we work, where we go to school, and with all the hobbies and passions that we share. We find community. We find neighborhood in these types of groups of people. Just think about all of the neighborhoods, all of those communities and people in your life. Well, our parable tells us that Jesus is at work in all of these neighborhoods, and he is on his mission to redeem and to restore all people, actively working through the Holy Spirit in all these neighborhoods of our lives. So wherever, so wherever you go, whether it be to the ends of the earth or down the street to your office, God is at work. God is at work in the hearts and the lives of his people, whether we see it or not. Jesus is up to something in their lives. They just might not be aware of it yet. What is he doing? He is working. And how is he preparing? You know, it's a sobering reality for us all. As we all know, we have so many days in this life. Along the journey, you may have a defining moment, or actually moments, or you still might be waiting for that to happen. But wherever you are across the spectrum, God is working and will break through in your life. And we are all across that spectrum. For some of us, it was baptism as infants. And for some, it can happen as we breathe our last and are ushered into eternity. But for all of us, God is working and continues to work for our redemption and restoration. And this is the very mission of Jesus, why he came. This can happen at any time. It can happen in an instant or over the span of a person's life, just like with grass and with farmers, God is at work. We have a small role in that, but the kingdom of God is a reality and how he has working, that grass keeps growing. Just as with growing season, there are many seasons in life. Some are in a season of resistance. Some people get to the point where they just don't want to hear about God any longer. They get to a point where they rebel. Or they're less like, I am sick 
of hearing about Jesus at this point in my life. Another season shows people where we might just become oblivious to what Jesus and the Holy Spirit are doing in our lives around us, to to where we get to the point where we might just be ignoring it or so busy with the ins and outs of life, we are oblivious to the work around us. And others are on the cusp, almost ready to know that God works uniquely in each person to hear the forgiveness of sin through this God, Jesus, that loves them. And of course, Jesus invites us into his mission. He doesn't give us our own mission to do on his behalf. It's a big moment when we come to realize and to understand that Jesus is inviting us to join him in the work that he is already doing. Isn't that a relief to hear? Jesus is doing the work, and he invites us to join him in his work and his mission of restoration. Yes, there is the Great Commission, we probably all know so well, to go make disciples and to baptize of all nations. But right after that verse is this verse, and I am with you always till the very end of the age. The backing promise that in this work, we are never alone. God walks and works with us. It's a relief because if I myself go out for Jesus, it's all about the work I must do. And I must see the results of my own work. I must see something happen. And it's all about what I can accomplish. And it's easy to forget that we are on mission alongside God, called into his work and mission. But if we realize it's more like the disciples, walking side by side with Jesus for those three some odd years. And it's about those disciples being called into the work of Jesus and that we are just along for the ride. It's in his power. It's in his strength. On one hand, if it's in my own power, and on the other hand, we have to rely on his power. On one side of that, we ask the question, did I do everything I could have done? Did I do it the correct way? Did I say it the right way? Or heaven forbid, did I mess it up? The other side of that rests on the promise that Jesus is at work, whether we get it right or not. And it leaves us saying, let's see what he is going to do next. And on one hand, it forces, it forces us to, with people because I want to see something happen. It becomes we-centric. And the other allows me to just love them and wait on God's timing as he works in their lives. Do you see the dichotomy here? If we think and we know we are on mission from Jesus and we see it as our own We are afraid that people might reject us, that they might not listen to us, or worst of all, that we may mess it up if we rely on our own power. And we may be the excuse, the reason that if we have conversation with people and tell them 
about this Christ that loves them and that died for them, we may be the excuse they have not to experience it when we are relying on our own power. We don't want to be responsible for that, do we? Thank God we have this backing promise, Jesus is with us, and he invites us into the work he is already doing. Only Jesus, our Savior, can do the work of saving his people. You and I cannot do that. Our jobs are to watch, to recognize, and to respond to what he is already doing in the lives of his people around us and to join him in that work, in his work. It's only Jesus that could die on the cross and be the savior of the world. Only Jesus could forgive the sins of the entire world. It is only Jesus that takes away our sin. Only Jesus can prepare a person to receive his good news. Only Jesus can know what is actually going on in a person's mind and in a person's heart. Only Jesus can cause the seed to grow, that seed of knowing that God loves them and that God died for them. It causes God's grace to germinate in our lives as we put our trust in him. And as little by little, we grow into that reality and that relationship. As the seed we sow, the good news we share is that God the Father sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross and to rise again for the forgiveness of his people. That is the snapshot of the gospel. It's John 3.16, even boiled down a little bit more. God loves you, and he died for you, so that you may be free. Now, most people have heard that. If you're sitting here, I bet you have heard that before. But do you know it? A lot of people seem not to feel loved, or it's hard to feel loved in the brokenness of this world. And sometimes even we don't realize that anyone or even we could be loved that much. It's hard to explain. We have this good news that brings with it a great hope because we are forgiven no matter what we have done. There is life in the midst of this broken world. There is a better way through the struggle, through the agony and through the problems of the brokenness of this world. And that is because God made that way. That is, God does not reject us and has not forgotten us. Rather, he loves us. So much so that he sent his son to die for us and to be our savior. What a powerful seed that God plants among us in his gospel message. The power is in that message, not in our powerful delivery or perfect presentation and saying just the right words about that message. The power is in the message itself, that Jesus loves you and that Jesus died for you. Every farmer 
or those of us or those of you, not myself, that know how to grow, knows that you can't harvest a crop until it is ripe. One of the privileges I feel in, in the calling here is getting to go see people, sometimes that can't go to church, sometimes in life celebrations, and sometimes visiting those that can't make it to church anymore. And I get to go see someone, this, at least this service knows pretty well, named Jimmy Shine. And part of going to see Jimmy is, is uh, it's something we share now, is we'll go, we'll have prayer and sometimes communion, and then he wants to take me for a little ride on his golf cart, and especially to share the crop that grows on the land that he is blessed with. He's got few apples and grapefruit and a lot of different varieties of oranges and all kinds of different things. And, and as he has been on that land for a long time, he knows how to grow. He knows the seasons of growth. And I find, find it ironic, especially with he takes me and he can take me to which tree and say, don't pick that orange, but pick this one over here because it is ripe and it is ready to pick. Just like with Jimmy and what his knowledge of picking that perfect orange at the right time, knowing when it's ripe and when that fruit is juicy and good. So it is with the harvest of God. There's a time when that seed is in our life of the gospel. God keeps working in a time when the harvest is ready. All a farmer can do in that process is just check on it. Is it ready? Nope. Not yet. A little more waiting. Is it ready? Nope. But when the time does come, let the harvest begin. The same is true of people. Our job is not to try to hurry anyone along in the kingdom of God. Rest assured that Jesus is in charge. And our job is to watch for when people are ripe and ready to hear the good news that Jesus loves us and that Jesus died for us. And like a farmer, we plant and then we wait. So sow the seed and let Jesus produce the harvest. The parable tells us God is at work in the kingdom. He is at work in his kingdom and it is all around us and happening, whether we know it or recognize it. All praise, glory, and honor be unto his name for the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen.